This is the No Nonsense Agile Podcast. Each week we have in-depth conversations with experts in agile product development and technology leadership. Our guests share their insights and recommendations on how you can build great teams that produce high-value digital products and services. Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to the No Nonsense Agile Podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. And I'm Murray Robinson. And I'm Willem Janagling. Hi, Willem. Thanks for coming on. So we wanted to talk to you about leadership and management in Agile today, how leaders can help or hinder your agility. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what your experience is? Okay. I'm an Agile coach for Worldline, which is a beta company that believes agility is key. I'm the founder of Syria Scrum, which is the largest independent Scrum community in the world. And I'm one of the prolific writers, if I am allowed to say so myself, of Syria Scrum. And my favorite topics have to do with agility and how it doesn't limit the software development teams. So were you a software developer? What was your career path to Agile Coach? I started as a software developer somewhere in the 90s. Yeah, I did that for, what is it, six to eight years. And then I rolled into the leadership role. So I started as a team leader. At a certain point, I became a project manager. And one of the things that I always bumped my head into was the fact that I made great plans based upon what other people said that we could do. And the plans always had to change. And I always had to defend myself for the plans that changed because the reality was different than we expected. And I found it very strange because one of the key aspects of being a project manager is to also manage these changes. But every time I went to the steering committee, it was like losing face. So you also saw that other project managers were really creating watermelon status reports. So green on the outside and red on the inside. I always try to refrain from that. And then after 10, 15 years, I bumped into Scrum and other agile approaches and it all made sense to me. And then I thought, I have to stop doing what I do. I can't defend myself, acting as if the world is very easy to predict while it's not. It's far more complex. So I started the career as a Scrum Master and I'm still feeling like I'm a Scrum Master. It's all in the name. Huh? According to the company, I'm now an Agile coach. So you're a reformed project manager. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yep. That's all right. So am I. <laughs> We're not all terrible, Shay. I used to say I've never met a project manager who made the transition to Scrum coach. Well, you two can change it for me. Yeah. There's certainly quite a few project managers who have gone off and got a Scrum certification and they've been employed as a project manager of an agile project and as far as i can tell they pretty much do exactly what they always used to do but now yep. everything's done in sprints because they've been trained to do a certain process a certain way of thinking for many years and they've practiced their yep. craft they've learned that's the skills they have and then they go on a two-day fluffy overview course get a couple of terms and somehow are expected to completely retrain their experience their skills their thinking and that's probably not fair to them. But it depends on whether you're ready for it or not, Shane. If I'm very honest, at a certain point, I wanted to make a switch in my career. And I saw that Agile was very popular. So I thought, okay, what's the best way to get into that? So 
then I saw that with Scrum.org, you are able to get a credential, a Scrum Master credential, by simply doing a test. Yeah. So that's what I did. I failed for the first time, second time I passed, and I all of a sudden had that Scrum Master stamp. Having said that, I still knew nothing about what Scrum really was about. I only knew the mechanics, but the meaning behind Scrum, so the first two pages of the Scrum Guide, they never really stuck. It was all of, for me all about the sprints, all about alternative way to create output instead of focusing on the outcome. Well, Ken Schwaber did write a book called Agile Project Management with Scrum. That was his second book, and he talked a lot about Scrum as the new project management methodology. So he certainly did position it that way at the time. I actually started doing Agile in 2004 when I was a project manager and I needed to make a big change in what I was doing because I was delivering very successfully, but I was getting a lot of negative feedback from people about being too task focused, too controlling and Agile provided a completely different way of looking at it. I used to think that I was responsible for the outcome because that's what everyone was telling me. You're a project manager, you're responsible for the outcome. But what I realized was that the responsibility is shared. The developers, the testers, the analysts, the managers, we're all responsible collectively for the outcome. No one person can take responsibility. And so there's no point trying to control people your job is really to bring people together to achieve the outcome, not try and make them because it doesn't work anyway. For me, the pitfall was not the, the fact that I felt and the responsibility for the outcome, but more that I was working towards output. Yeah. So uh, I thought we are all in this together. I always thought that uh, the, the software developers, uh, the testers, uh, myself, but also the stakeholders, we're all in this together to make it a success but I was focusing on delivering what we promised to deliver and not on this is the impact that we want to make. So that was my pitfall. That's your job as a project manager is to deliver the spec, isn't it? You're given a yeah. spec, you deliver it. Often it's in a contract. You've got all of Indeed. these detailed yeah. features and requirements to deliver. People will talk about the business benefits and the outcomes during the business case development at the beginning of a project. And as soon as it's approved, everyone forgets about it. It just yep. turns into requirements and deliverables and documents. Yes, indeed. That's the whole experience that I had. And it was that realization during an actual training, by the way, from uh, someone that, that really could bring it forward. That is about in a complex environment, you don't know exactly what will happen. So you can't focus on the output because it might be the, having the wrong impact. You have to find other ways. Then it hit me and I never looked back. Yeah. Murray and I have this argument around terminology all the time because I'm quite pedantic now in my older age about terms and how they're used. I keep coming back to this idea of product manager versus product leader. And the way I think about it now is managers manage the work to be done. Leaders lead the team and the organization and make the trade-off decisions when they're needed to be made. And for yep. me, that's how I differentiate now manager type behavior with a leader type behavior. What's your view? How do you differentiate between a manager versus a leader? So for me, a leader is someone who says, this is the thing that we want to achieve and then fosters the environment and coaches the team to find the best ways to achieve the outcomes. 
that's for me the leader and the manager is more the person that, that gets the instructions of okay this is what we have to do and make it so with your teams very black and white uh, as i say it now so it's like task focus versus people focus or maybe outcome oriented uh, versus output oriented yeah the other thing i found very difficult about being a project manager is that the developers and everybody else in the team were constantly changing their estimates and not meeting their estimates and the yeah. clients were constantly changing what they wanted and it was always my fault everybody blamed me all the time the teams blamed me the clients blamed me my own managers blamed me it's quite yeah. thankless job really which I think explains why project managers produce so much documentation because it's all about defending yourself from the inevitable blame that's going to hit you. Yep, indeed. I have the same experience and I can recall that once a project manager colleague went on a holiday for a couple of weeks and asked me to take over. And 80% of my work was to ensure that all decisions that were made were documented very clearly so that I would not get the blame for things that were decided in her absence. <laughs> and it exactly happened like that. So two months later, something happened that had to do with the decisions that were made at that time. I got the blame for pivoting from original plan and I could prove, well, it, it was not my decision alone. I, it was a mutual decision with all these people that now are saying not saying anything anymore. And so I recognized that. It was a lot about try to fend off the blame. And that's a shame because you can put your energy in so many more positive things. I think it's also the reason why project managers are heavily focused on processes and contracts and those other things on the right-hand side of the Agile Manifesto. It's all about defending yourself. Yeah, and the company in the end, eh? because and the company, you are also yeah. the, the face of the company. So when a client says, we want to have this output, and in the end, it doesn't bring what the client wants. You still uh, want to show that contract. You said it yourself. This is what you wanted. So you should not complain. Yeah, exactly. Because clients will give you a specification and say, deliver this for the agreed amount of money. And then as soon as you start, they're constantly wanting to change what they said at the start. And they get very yeah. irritated when you want to charge them for it. Yeah. I realized that the core concepts of project management were really not tenable. I realized that while I was a project manager, that there's always so much uncertainty that we couldn't really predict things. There's always so much change and we could write perfect requirements and architecture documents. And then we would just find later on that we were wrong about a lot of stuff. I was hungry for change when I came across Agile and I found it Agile and Scrum and I found it very helpful, which I guess is your story as well. Yes, it's the same for me, indeed. <laughs> so when we are implementing Agile, I wonder if you've had the experience where you're brought in by management to help a team because they're saying it, the team's not working well, they're not producing enough, they're not delivering, and we want you to improve the team or a set of teams. And then you find that you improve the teams and before very long, you've just realized that actually the problem isn't in the team at all. It's outside the team and maybe even the managers causing it themselves. Have you had that experience? I have had that experience all the time. It's one of the top things on my list of things that happen when I aim to coach teams or help teams. Agile and Scrum are often well understood by the people in the teams. They know what it means 
to work in a Scrum environment or maybe another Agile approach. So it's not them. Of course, there are many things that a team can do better, but optimizing the teams while environment is not helping out the teams to be effective, that's not the best way to proceed in my view. What are the most common blockers you come across that are outside the team's control? One of the most important things that I see is to focus on things like output. You have to deliver this and this and not the why. Why do we want to deliver that or what kind of impact we want to make with our product? Another one is focus on velocity. You said you would have 60 story points burnt this sprint. Why did you only do 55? <laughs> or you said that you would deliver these three items. Why did you only deliver two? And if a team then would say, we still met our goal, then for some, it's still not sufficient because you promised three and you only delivered two. And another one that was very prominent in Worldline is that a certain organizational impediment constantly comes back because the organization doesn't want to resolve it or managers don't want to resolve them. It's really disheartening for these people. They constantly pinpoint, this is the thing that we need to have changed. For instance, an approval process that's far too slow, that's holding the teams back. And not only one team, but all the teams, 15 yeah. teams in the department. That's really a thing that I have seen a lot. It really broke the transformation that we had a couple of years ago because these teams were not believing in Scrum and Agile anymore. Yeah. I've seen teams that have been quite harshly reprimanded by program managers for raising organizational issues outside their control and they just stop having proper retros after that. That's exactly my experience. And I even had teams that said, let's not have retros anymore because we constantly will have the same arguments and the same discussions and nothing will change. So when we talk about managers versus leaders, where does a program manager fit in in Agile? A program manager? Yeah. It depends a bit on how that person is picking up the role. You would expect that a program manager is very much focused on what do we want to achieve with our product portfolio or with our program. And if that is the case, then such a person could be a leader. But I think generally a program manager is more a manager, like the word says, than a leader. So I think as soon as we hear those words manager, we get a organizational intent. We get a team topology, a culture coming from that organization that says we've probably got some challenges. We'll probably see some of those anti-patterns you talked about. Outputs, not outcomes or goals. Velocity is a measure of success, not what you delivered. Recurring organization impediments, not getting unblocked because it's outside the team control, but nobody else wants to fix it. So for me, that word manager becomes a dangerous word that we should be aware that we may have problems in that organization as we try to change the way we work to a more agile way of working. Yes, I agree. Uh, in our organization, we even decided to change the wording from department manager to tribe leader. So I was very happy with that uh, decision. I quite like leader as a name. Shane and I often argue about words. My view is it's behavior that's important. And somebody who's a manager could be a servant leader. And I've seen managers who are servant leaders who've been quite helpful. And then I've seen other people with the same title who are really authoritarian, controlling, political, destructive to the teams. What I want to see is somebody who can be a servant leader if they're in that role, somebody who can support the team and unblock them. Yeah. Yes, agreed. For me, it's not about the name. 
and also not about the responsibilities that they have. I always try to find a common ground on what we want to achieve. That's always what I start with when I have a conversation with project managers, department managers, stakeholders that are far from the teams. So even beyond the project manager, I've found that we're still working in a siloed bureaucratic organization with people above the project manager who are very jealous about their test empire or the development empire or whatever it is, or you've got people who are selling things that can't be delivered. And the big problem is really when you raise the issues and they just shoot it down. Do you see that sort of behavior much? Yes, I think it has to do with the silos and that everyone has their own goals to achieve, which are conflicting. Yeah. If, uh, for instance, sales wants to sell as much as possible and making promises that uh, developers can't make, that doesn't help. People should all have the same motivation to achieve a goal that's the same for all of them and not conflicting. Yeah. So my view is this sort of destructive behavior which is quite common amongst management, starts at the top. I did a survey of 400 people on LinkedIn and asked them what proportion of your managers during your career helped your team, did nothing or actively hindered your team. Not talking about careers, but teams and team delivery. And basically I got 25% of of my managers in my career have been helpful to my team to deliver its goal about 35% who were neutral, did nothing to help, just manage the bureaucracy, and 40% who are actively destructive, that is, making bad decisions, implementing bureaucratic processes that they knew were causing problems, refusing to help at all. I don't know if you've had a similar experience or not, but it seems very common in organizations to have a lot of managers who are really not helping at all or even just making things worse for the teams. I agree with that. When the top of the organization has visions that are not aligning with working in a complex environment and with having a more agile approach, that's already destructive. Then you can do everything you want at team level or a department level, but you will not succeed because the incentives from the top will be colliding with the things that you want to achieve. But even Within our organization, we now have the top management who says, we think agility is super important. Mm -hmm. In fact, we want to increase agility all over the company, but that's the top of the organization. And then you have in between different layers of management and the things are getting lost in translation there. Because many people in the management layers have no clue what agile or agility is all about. That's where often issues are within what I experience at least. So what is agile leadership? What is agile leadership? For me, it's all about setting goals, outcome-oriented goals, impact-oriented goals, and then fostering the environment and helping to remove impediments that are there to to match the chances to achieve this. So that's for me, agile leadership. It sounds quite a lot like the Scrum Master role. Yes, I think a Scrum Master is also an Agile leader. And the Scrum Master, as I see it, is often considered only to be someone who helps the team. What you often see is that 70% of the Scrum Masters are team-focused, and often they 
do it on the side. So they are developer and also Scrum Master, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then they, of course, only have the capacity to help the team. But even the Scrum Master that know that they also should help the organization to change to be working in an agile way, even those uh, Scrum Masters don't have the opportunity because the, the organization doesn't want them to do that. They only want them to focus on the team. So I agree, and uh, Scrum Master is an agile leader, and it's a role of accountability that's really underestimated, in my view. Yeah, so... Even if you're a senior manager and you don't want to be called a scrum master, you could still use those principles and ideas of outcome focus, goal setting, servant leadership. I also think that leaders have an important role to work on the system. So the organization structure, its processes, the way it works to help. Yeah, to help change the organization to be more effective in creating valuable products, an agile leader indeed should step in there. Yeah. So let's say that the three of us are coaches in a big organization and the teams are telling us that there's a whole lot of blockers and we take them up to management and they're not being resolved. Maybe they're structural issues and process issues. What can we do? What should we do as a group of agile coaches in an organization? Maybe what I can do is tell a bit of of what we have been doing as agile coaches within our organization yeah so we started with looking around so we were our own little department of 1500 people and the company is far bigger so we looked at other agile coaches scrum masters or agile minded people that want to achieve the same thing and we found them now we have 20 people and we call ourselves the agile federation yeah we have one goal is to increase the agility within the company we started that two years ago and right now we are established within the company in the, uh, from top to bottom, everyone knows there's an Agile Federation. If you want to be helped in increasing your agility, then you can look to them. So that's the first thing that we did. And secondly, we also looked at who do we want to target. And then we came to the decision that we wanted to start with the people that are the ones that, that block us the most. So mm-hmm. then you're looking at people from finance, project managers in, in general people from quality, security, and risk, but also human resources, as we like to call them. And that's what we did. So we simply approached these people and asked them if we could have a chat. And then that chat that we were able to have was all about what do you do want to achieve within the company and then find a common ground. And in the end, we were always able to have a common ground of we want to make an impact as a company. When I've been able to work with managers on a program or a team, I've been able to take them on the journey most of the time, occasionally not, but most of the time they've wanted me there. So I was able to take them on the journey, but I've had conversations with people two levels up who are causing a lot of problems for the teams and they were just very aggressive, very political, very defensive, just refused to listen or accept anything we were saying at all and just seemed to see everything in terms of power and politics. So I found it quite difficult. Maybe it's something that takes quite a long time. Yes, I'm on this journey and I'm going to assume I will need years and years. If I will be successful, I don't know. Yeah. But indeed, so many people in the organization are still in the traditional mindset of conveyor belt production. But isn't that partly our fault? We often leave people that are in the middle of the hierarchies out of the loop. We don't re-educate them. We don't reschool them. We don't give them any help 
to actually understand this new way of working and where they may fit in. What was a fundamental change to those people's roles? And I do wonder how much support from an agile community point of view we give those roles because we tend to focus on the team a lot more than everybody else that's going through that evolution. I, I fully agree with this. So we decided to create an agile leadership training for the company. And we said, we are going to target middle management and higher. So this is all about topics like we want to focus on outcomes, not on outputs. We want to understand what kind of environment are we in and what is the role of the agile leader in this whole thing. And are there still ways to have a long-term vision while you are in a complex environment? So we started with that in June last year, and we had a pilot with leaders that we knew were on our side and asked them for the, the input on our training. They were very positive. And since then, we have monthly trainings. And, and now in total, 250 leaders in the organization have followed this training. I think it's really about helping these people to understand what it means to work in a complex environment, to create products and what their role is. And this has been a really great journey. So I can guess that their training's not about the mechanics of Scrum. It's not totally a not. Scrum in a day, here's what a retro is, here's what a stand-up is, here's why you should care. I'm guessing what it's about is having conversations with people at that level to tell them the things that they need to know for what they do in their day job and what the change means to them. Is that right? That's exactly what we try to achieve. Teams mostly know what Scrum and Agile is all about. And of course, they can learn a lot, but they mostly know. And managers of those teams also mostly know. But it starts at a level from there and higher. These people also need to understand why Agile exists. Most of them are really not liking the word of Agile anyway. They believe that the traditional way of working is bringing them more benefits than an agile way of working. So helping them to understand what's the best way to, to go for in our organization. And what we also did was respecting the professionality and the experience of the people that, that we coach and train. So we had 30 to 40 project managers in the training. We did not say what you are doing is bad because that's not up to us. We simply showed them there are alternatives and they can be used in combination with many things that they have been doing and that helped a lot so agile coaches are often quite negative about management what's the best attitude to take when you're dealing with management what i always try to do is to understand that these people have an important position that they are beneficial to the company and to not confuse these persons with their role at that moment in the company for instance when Agile was introduced in the company that I worked for, I was a project manager and mm -hmm. I could have seen it as a threat for me. And I was even told by Agile coaches that my role and I would be obsolete in the near future. And I think that's a very bad thing to do because then you basically dismiss these persons. So I think you should respect these people and their professionality and almost everything that they can bring and help to show them that are other ways. Yeah. We talked to Esther Derby about this and she said that it's actually quite difficult to be invited to coach managers, that they don't yeah. feel that they need anything from you or agile coach because they perceive yeah. an agile coach as being a team level kind of role. But the way to get invited is to ask them about the problems they're having and then yep. make some suggestions about 
some things that could help using Agile and Scrum ideas. Is that your approach? My approach is very much the same, but not completely, because I don't want to come with the Agile solution immediately. She wouldn't recommend coming with the Agile solution immediately either. She would say it's about empathy, understanding their problem, and helping them with patterns, many of which are not Agile at all. They're just based on experience or wider reading. And what I also do is offer them insights. When you say insights, do you mean things like, this is what I'm seeing with the teams. No, I'm talking about Kenefin. Let's look at this model. What do we see in this model? So offering different points of view, different ideas. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Some people in management are really very genuine, very good, very helpful. Other people are very ambitious politicians who are spending a lot of time trying to manage people's perceptions of them so that they can climb up the next rung or so that they can hold on to their power. And so for them, the honesty and openness that you have of Agile, fundamentally, we put honesty and openness very high up on our values. They find that very threatening because when they've been saying that everything's great and everything they've been doing has been working, they don't want any Agile coach telling senior management that there's blockers and problems. Yes, I also have seen these people in the organization because they are everywhere. Yeah. This is one of the most difficult things about wanting to change a larger organization or even a, a smaller organization. Because without these values that you also have in Scrum, if you don't have these, you can also not be having a learning environment. And you need that learning environment to understand if you are working in the right direction. And failing to understand what you did is not helping your learning. Yeah, that's very difficult to change. Okay. So in terms of changing things at the middle and senior management level, I think we've covered off a couple of different things. One is agile leadership training, so you can expose them to some new ideas. The other one we talked about was what I would call coaching, consulting on a one-to-one basis. So is there any other things that you've done that have been helpful when dealing with trying to make that bigger level organizational change amongst leaders? Those are the two things that we are mostly focusing on, indeed, uh, Qing and coaching. But also as important is that uh, you show that there are opportunities for these people uh, as well. And if you would be a leader of change, that's also very good for your CV. And also good to show the top of the company here. I'm one of the people that is successful in helping this part of the organization to make that jump towards higher value products. So yes, of course, It's a mindset change. It's also a different way of doing things from managing to leading. But there's a great opportunity for these people to be getting out to others. Yeah. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of an executive for a moment. Imagine you'd had some good agile experiences and now you wanted to implement it. What can you do? What advice would you have for those senior leaders who want to help? For the senior leaders, I would say ensure that you are able to communicate what you want to achieve as a company yeah, and also ensure that you have alignment between the team goals and the company goals and that people that come with bad news are rewarded instead of being punished because bad news are most of the times learnings that you can use to improve yourself. I had an opportunity as an executive to implement Agile in a 100-person organization 
And let me tell you, everything becomes a lot easier. When you're setting people's salaries, it's amazing how people want to do the things that you suggest. But the thing I've always found very helpful is restructuring, taking people out of silos and putting them into cross-functional teams that are focused on a particular product or capability or set of clients. Yes, I can only agree. Very good point. And we can keep the functional managers, but we turn them into supporting roles like chapter leaders, they call them in Spotify. I really like the Unfix model as well because it's gone well beyond the Spotify model and he's brought in a lot of organizational design concepts from team topologies and elsewhere and given you a menu of what you could do. I'm also inspired by the Unfix model from Jürgen Apollo, all about organizing around value chain. It's really a concept that I like and I would like to embrace a bit more also within the company and help the leaders to have an understanding on that as well. Yeah, it's really good. And I recommend that people go and have a look at the Unfix model and listen to our Unfix interview with Jürgen. The other thing I did was I changed the agreements we had with customers and clients. So I found that Often the contracts we engaged in with those clients were causing a lot of this fixed scope behavior. And when we were moving to an agile way of working, what we really wanted to be able to say is that we agree that we will focus on achieving a goal and we are going to put some constraints about the time and the money. And we're going to do some planning about how we think we could achieve the goal and what it might mean. But ultimately we're saying, We're going to put this much effort into it over this much time. And what we're going to do is work together as a customer and the teams to get as much value as possible out of that effort, that time, that money that's available. And we'll do that by renegotiating the scope every spring. Yes, awesome. And I agree to shift the discussion from the output to the outcome. To what goal do you want to achieve, not on what you create, but what your impact is and if you are indeed heading towards that? We have to recognize how much of a change that is for some parts of the organization. So if we look at finance, they are traditionally looking to manage the tasks to be done. So the budgets are around, what work's getting done, how much is it going to cost? And when we change to this agile way of working, we need them to shift to the outcomes, the goals of the organization. And that's a big change for them. Often it's an easy conversation to start with because it's something like budgeting is really easy now because we know the number of people we've got. Typically that is a a fixed cost going forward. And therefore we're not so much worried about the output, how much work they're doing. We just want the budget around how many there are and how long they're going to be with the organization. And so we need to help them relearn a different way of working as a supporting role in the organization, not as a constraint and approval mechanism that's task-focused. It's a big change for them. I think that comes back to their own senior executive, like the CFO. So, for example, if the CFO has told the finance team every project deliverable has to have its own budget and its own time and I want you to track it all, then that forces all the project managers into fixed-scope behaviour. But I think you still can show that you're heading towards the right direction, that you are constantly creating value and helping to achieve the goals. So it's not that we are from the radar for two years and we see you back when we want to have a new budget. You can still 
show that you are heading towards what you were aiming to achieve. And you can still say after half a year, for instance, or a year, we thought that we would be able to make this impact. But until now, our learnings are that this is not going to go that way. You can still say, let's stop this endeavor, for instance. So there are still mechanisms to have some sort of control or at least be to ensure that you're not putting money in the things that you don't want to put it in. Yeah, I agree. Look, finance and accounting is supposed to help the organization protect its money, basically, and to provide reports on whether they're going to be profitable or not. I would really like organizations and senior managers, whether they're in finance or some other area, to measure projects and products by their outcomes as you suggested, not by their outputs. I would love that organization then to set monthly measures and say, all right, here's the budget. Tell us each month how you're going against those measures because that would focus everybody on achieving those outcomes instead of the deliverables. I haven't seen it yet, but I think that would be good. And suppose you would have that, then it would also be an incentive for people at the sprint review to be on top of that instead of only demoing what they did. They would also look at, okay, are we still spending our money wisely? Yeah. I would love to do that. You could bring it all the way down to the individual teams and say, how is this contributing to increase our revenue? The changes we did last sprint, how did that help to increase our conversion rate, for example? Yeah, indeed. So these are also the discussions that we have with our agile leadership training, but also how do we aim to coach the managers, people within finance and other positions that are traditionally not that agile. And have you been successful in your company in getting the organization to use those outcome measures instead of output measures? There are a couple of things that are bright spots for me. One is that uh, HR on the company level, we want to work in an agile way, but also want to find ways to support the agile uh, organization and to be a learning company. And based upon our advice, they are now looking at, okay, how are we going to measure the impact that we are going to make? So this is what we want to achieve and how are we going to measure that with all the things that we do? That's good. I think we should probably go to summaries, Shane. All right, summaries. I'd like to do a survey to see how many scrum coaches or agile coaches come out of a project management background versus a software engineering or or another background. I'm really intrigued how many have gone through that journey and survived. And ideally, how many of them are any good at it? I love the idea of watermelon reporting. I heard that a while ago. Green on the outside, red on the inside. We've all seen the reporting change color as it went up the seniority level. One of the major themes that we keep getting on this podcast is this concept of set goals for the teams, let the teams go and do what they're good at, and then help them be successful, remove the blockers, support them where they need your support, but get out of the way once that goal's been set. I like the idea a leader can be described as being outcome or goal orientated. Manager is typically task focused. So we can use that as a behavioral trait to see which one we are being. When we're Outcomes doing and people-oriented, I would have said. So I differentiate, and you know this, between pastoral care and other leadership roles. Somebody who is a pastoral care leader is very focused on the people, the health of the people, the people achieving their personal goals and helping them when they're in trouble as individuals. And then there is a role around leadership of the company and the things that need to be achieved. And often we have a person who does both, but what I find is people tend to have strengths in one or the other. 
it's a unicorn behavior to be really good at both. And that's great. Both are important, but they're two different types of leaders. I like the idea of anti-patterns. So the ones you described as focusing on the outputs, not the outcomes, using velocity as a weapon. Okay. You've achieved the goal, but hold on. We, there's 30 points missing. What were you doing? And the idea of recurring organizational impediments, there's a blocker, it gets raised repeatedly and the organization just won't solve it. And one of the ones we had on last week was this idea of continuous deployment, continuous integration and DevOps, and this idea of approval processes that are outside the system. So there's a person who has to say yay or no, even though the system has said it's good. We want to remove those. I think one of the other anti-patterns that we talked about is where there's a big gap between what's been sold and what's been delivered. When we've got that gap, we know that there's a problem there. I love the idea of an agile federation. I've heard of agile coaching circles before, and I love that idea. I wonder if that's a behavior or a pattern that we get when there are predominantly internal agile coaches who are there for the long-term Whereas often we see agile coaches get flown in as consultants or contractors for a point of time, and therefore they're not as incented to create those federation behaviors, which are required for organizational change. So that intrigues me. And the last one is love the idea of the training you do for your leaders. So we want to help people become agile savvy because there is a whole lot of terminology and things that they probably haven't heard before. So let's help them become savvy by educating them and mentoring and coaching them. And that came back to one of the points you raised right at the beginning was as a project manager turning up to the steering committee and losing face because the promises that were made weren't kept. And if we keep that in mind, that often when we talk to a project manager, they are experiencing that behavior time and time again. So if we call it out and say, look, are you constantly losing face in the promises that have been made but not kept? And they start nodding, it's going, cool, and we got the best thing for you. Agile helps us not had that happen as often. And then the same with our leaders. We don't want them to lose face. We want to help them adopt this new way of working. So let's do it in a way that's helpful rather than, oh, you don't get this. You're a middle manager. You know, you're gone. McKinsey said 20% of you are going to be out because that's how we save money and achieve this <laughs> agile transformation. That's me. That's what I got out of this one. Murray, what do you got? Okay. So my summary. I think as Agile coaches, we often find that we can help a team and the team gets it and they start doing the right things. But within a short period of time, we come across major organizational blockers which prevent the team from being more effective. That might be, for example, that we can't get dev and test to work together because they're in different silos in the organization. Or it may be that there's some other team that is controlling deployment or operations that is being really unhelpful or there's tools that we need that we don't have or there's a lot of processes that we have to comply with which are very unhelpful things like writing very detailed test specifications or requirement specifications for everything so then in order to help the team be effective we have to work with managers outside the team to change the organization to support an agile way of working. So therefore we need to find ways of getting that bigger organizational change to happen. And sometimes the managers we're dealing with are not wanting to change at all. They like the bureaucracy. That's where they got their power and their 
status from. So they don't want to change it. And they may very often have a long history of working in bureaucratic organisations where they've learnt to behave in a very political way, which is good for them personally, but not helpful for the teams that we're coaching. So it's a very common thing. So how do we help them? Well, we can teach them about Agile and Agile concepts through training can be helpful. And I've seen that turn the light on with some people. I think that we can coach them and support them. And to do that, we need to take an attitude of, I'm here to help, not to tell you what to do. But you need to be invited to help people. You can't just start telling people, you must do this, you must do that. You have to be invited to help. And often they don't want you to help because, you know, you're down there and they're up here. Somehow we need to get to the senior leaders and we need to get them on board. If they're not on board, then there might not be anything we can do if we're going to be honest about it. It may be that we can only work at the team level and help the teams as much as we can within the bureaucracy. It's very common for senior executives and managers to say that they support Agile and then to do the exact opposite of everything we want them to do to help the teams. I think fundamentally it's because we often work in big bureaucracies and senior managers have got to their positions by being good at running the machinery of the bureaucracy and good at managing the politics of it. And I think the openness and honesty of Agile, which is critical for learning and for finding and resolving issues, is often culturally not there amongst some management teams and executive teams. And it's really hard to know what to do about that. I think the best we can do is find executives who are going to sponsor the change and who support it and who want to work in the new way. And I think just like with project managers, it's not all negative. There are people in those positions who are frustrated by the way things are now and who want to change. And I think we need to find those people and help them. And sometimes we just have to accept that that we can't. We just have to help the teams. So it's quite frustrating. I think many Agile coaches feel the frustration and really wish that there was more support and they're, they're not getting it. But approaching managers with empathy and just being realistic about what you can achieve and then maybe coaching, training, support, learning, that's the best you can do. Do you have any comments on that? Yes, so when I hear these uh, summaries, then I would like to emphasize that you're doing it for a purpose, eh? to help the company to make the best of its capabilities to thrive. Yes, that is an excellent point, Willem. I think that is the motivator for change that you can point to. Because we're not doing Agile just for Agile's sake. We're doing it to help the company survive and thrive. So that's one of the first things that I bring forward. This is the common ground. We all want to make this company as great as we can be. And we can also agree that many things don't work as we expected them to work. And there's a need to improve and then find it together. Yeah, so we need to be outcome-focused in our agile coaching as well. Indeed. And also we need to be iterative and incremental in the way we help the organization change. Yeah. All right. Now, how can people find out more about your ideas? Where can they read your, your articles and so on? Well, I'm part of the serious Scrum community, and we have a Slack community where you can find me. 
And I'm also posting the articles on Medium and I always publish them on LinkedIn as well. So if people are connecting with me on LinkedIn, then they will be able to follow me there. Yeah, I recommend Serious Scrum. The Slack channel is one of the most active Agile Slack channels that I'm part of. So I really like that. And a lot of the people involved in the community are really thoughtful and have a lot of good insights. And there was a good conference recently at which I spoke. Yes, indeed. Thank you for that. And you can go and see the recordings somewhere. On YouTube. Where, where is that? On YouTube. So just look Scrum, up Serious Scrum. YouTube. Yeah, it's a good community to get involved in. And it's more than just Scrum. I think that people take a pretty broad approach to Agile, which is great. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for coming on, Will. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was the No Nonsense Agile podcast from Murray Robinson and Shane Gibson. If you'd like help to build great teams that create high-value digital products and services, contact Murray at evolve.co. That's Evolve with a zero. Thanks for listening.